see you all this morning. Hey, if you're visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here and that you chose to worship with us today. I, I'm, my heart is blessed today. It's Labor Day weekend, and I thought, oh, it's going to be a low Sunday because everyone's out having a... And you're in, you're in church. Can you just high-five someone next to you and be like, way to go, way to go, way to be in church. I love it. If you are visiting for the very first time, uh, would you do me a favor? Right in front of you in the seat back is a, a card that says Connect. Uh, if you take a minute to fill that out, uh, just a little bit of information about yourself, we'd love the opportunity to reconnect with you this week. Uh, you can take that to the hub after service, uh, and when you do, we have a special gift for you back there as well, so you can trade that card for uh, a neat gift. So uh, again, we're glad you're here. And also, if it's your first time and you're thinking, well, this picnic, should I go? Absolutely. If, you, if it's your first time, you are more than welcome. Uh, we would love to have you there. We have a great time at Finkbeiner. No agenda. We just hang out. Isn't that good? Life is full of agendas. Sometimes we just need to just hang out. Hey, we're continuing our series this morning on the prosperous soul. We've been in this for a number of weeks, and, uh, and as I'd mentioned when I started this series, the Lord didn't really give me an end date. We're, we're going until the Holy Spirit says, okay, we're done with that. And I know what He's doing in my life and the testimonies I'm hearing from all of you is that God is doing a deep work, and I'm so thankful for this. I think it's a conversation, and, and the topic of the soul is something that's so needed in the world today. It's needed in the church uh, and so God, God is good. God is just so good. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to be here today. I'm just, I'm just having a good day. Um, I haven't even finished all my coffee yet. I set it down over here and I forgot that it was there and I saw it during worship and I was like, hey, my coffee. So um, I might enjoy a little bit of this during the service. There you go. Hey, the, your soul, your soul is the most important part of who you are. It is the most important part of who you are. And we live in a world where there are all kinds of resources, websites, apps, programs, places that you can go to take care of different parts of your life. But at the end of the day, the most important part of who you are is your soul. It's your soul that connects all of the pieces together. Your emotions, your thoughts, your memories, your physical being, your relationships, all of those things are tied together, come together in your soul. It's what runs your life. We talk about someone who has a healthy soul as being integrated. It means that their life is not compartmentalized where there's parts of their lives that are seemingly healthy and then other parts of their lives are not. A healthy soul will lead to a healthy life in every regard, which is why it's such an important conversation for us as a church. And so we've talked about a number of different themes and needs of the soul. You can, you can go back and listen to those sermons. Uh, they're available on the website um, or on the app. You can listen to those on the app. What's also on the app is the sermon notes. And so if you're taking notes this morning, uh, all of the verses and all of the points that I have today uh, are right there on the app. You can take your own notes and, and save them in there. The, the theme for this morning, though, is this. The soul needs to be restored. The soul needs to be restored. I'm going to be using a few different words today. I'm going to put them up on the screen. We kind of did this a little creatively. Restore, redeem, revive, and renew. 
These are words that I'm going to use throughout. You're going to hear them in some of the verses that we read. And in Scripture, though, each one of these words, their nuances may be a little different. At the core, they have the same idea, the same heart. And in fact, in a lot of places in Scripture, different translations will translate the same Greek or Hebrew word into one of these words. Here's what we know by looking at the Word of God is that God is for us that he loves us, and that his heart is to redeem and and restore and renew and revive the lost, the hurting, the broken, the dead things in our lives. It was finished at the cross. We sing those words because at the cross as Jesus died, and then when he rose uh, rose from the dead three days later, we're going to celebrate the communion this morning as a church family at the end of the service What we're remembering is that in that act, in that moment, in what he did in walking in obedience to the Father, is he secured all of this for us. Restoration, redemption, revival, and renewal is what he wanted to accomplish in our lives. And so our souls have a need to be restored because usually what we find, if if there's an aspect of the character of God and the way that he moves on our behalf, it's matched by a need that's built into us. Does that make sense? We're tracking, right? So, so when, I, when my stomach starts growling, I recognize there's a need for food. There's need. Well, that was good timing. There's a need for food. And so God is this way. God has wired us this way. So that we would need him in in not just some parts of our lives, but in every part of our lives. I got into this re-theme, though, by the way, this the, the big R-E. You're going to hear a lot of re-words today. In fact, all my points today start with re. I didn't mean it, but then when it started happening, I was like, I'm just going to run with it. I don't do this a lot, but... It just kind of happened, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to run with it. Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12 says this. It's, the, it's David writing here. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, restore to me the joy of your salvation And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, look at my heart. Do a work in me because I know I'm broken. God, I need you to create a pure heart in me and and, and do something in me because I know that there's brokenness and there's There's filth. There's that word. That's why it worked in earlier. God, there's brokenness and and there's junk, and I need you to create a clean heart in me, and I want you to renew a steadfast spirit in me because I don't want to keep going backwards. I want to move forwards in everything that you have for me. Don't cast me from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, not my salvation, we talk about, my, oh, my salvation, my salvation experience. But the thing is, is that God is the one who saves. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. What you have done for me, help me to remember how you've moved on my behalf, the things that you have done on my behalf. 
We're going to talk about renewal and restoration. If you ever leave a piece of metal out in the elements, a piece of iron or steel outside for a while, what happens to it? It rusts. Oxidation. That metal, that iron, reacts to the oxygen in the water in the air. And it's interesting to me that these two elements that seem somewhat benign, water and air, things that we actually need to live when exposed to bare metal, to bare iron, which is one of the more, more uh, one of the harder, rather, substances that we have, right? It's not the hardest, but we understand if you get hit with an iron pipe, it hurts, right? You're, it, it's not going to give way. Yet, given enough time, that same oxygen and water will start to wear on that iron. It will start having a chemical reaction. And in fact, if you introduce, like at the coast, you introduce salt into the equation, there's an electrochemical reaction that takes place that rusts that iron even faster, eventually leading to it becoming so brittle that you can just crush it in your hand. We were down at the pier at Huntington Beach the other day, and, uh, and if you look over the, the side, you can see, of course, there's the wooden wood pylons that go down, but there's also metal braces, and they're going through a process of retrofitting those because the old metal braces have just worn completely through. Those big steel pipes have just completely rotted out. It's also the reason why if you're a car collector, you buy cars that, that are from Arizona, Right? Not a lot of water, there's plenty of oxygen, but not a lot of water, not a lot of salt. Or if you live in a, in a climate where there's a lot of snow and they put salt in the road, the cars there rust even faster. Cars in Hawaii rust really fast. I remember when I was a kid, we lived in Hawaii for a couple of years and we were driving down the road and I looked over and this guy next to us, he had this car that was more rust than anything else. And there was a rope that was tied from the back bumper over the top of the roof to the front, front bumper that was holding the car together. And when I looked over, I could see the, I could see the guy sitting in the driver's seat because I could see through the window. But what I could also see was the lower part of his body through the holes in the door. The car was so rusted out. In order to prevent that rust, though, we do things like we paint a car or we, we will... Uh, Right, we'll cover it, we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a rust-resistant resistant coating on it, or we bring it in out of the elements, right? Maybe there's something that you use on your patio, and you realize, hey, if I'm going to leave this outside, it's going to rust, so I bring it inside. And given enough time exposed to the, to the right or wrong elements, something that is so hard, so resilient, will just crumble and fade. We're no different. That in our lives, we get exposed to things that at times can seem benign. Because we get this. There's just bad stuff, right? We all know there's bad stuff. Amen? And we avoid the bad stuff. But then there's things that we're a little more complacent about. Relationships that we know that we shouldn't be engaged in. People that speak into our lives who maybe don't have a godly voice, yet hold some kind of influence or bearing in our lives. Attitudes that we harbor that we think that's okay, that's justified. Given enough time, those things will act on your soul in the same way that water and oxygen and salt do on iron. That it will at first just be a surface issue, but then it'll go deep and it'll start to crumble 
the very fabric or substance of who we are. If you were going to restore a car, one of the first things that that restorers do is they look at a car and decide how much rust is there. Because if there's too much rust, we're not even going to bother. But then if there is enough rust that they can can take care of, what they'll either do is they'll go in and sand and, and grind and scrape away all that rust, or they'll cut out those sections and weld in new panels. And you can't leave any of the rust behind because if you do, even once you paint over the car, that rust continues to spread and eat at that metal from behind. So a car restorer will go in and and make sure that every bit of rust is completely removed, completely eradicated, completely taken care of in order for that car to be restored and renewed to its original function or even better. Our Souls are in need of restoration. We are all broken. We're all broken. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us has corrosion of the soul. Every one of us is born into sin. Every one of us has pain and struggles in this life. No one gets through life unscathed. Amen? We understand that. And and the story sounds different in each one of our lives, but the reality is, is we will all be affected by things that will damage us throughout our lives. Whether it's sin, or hurts, or abuses, or neglect, or trauma in our lives. And, And here's the problem, church, if we don't tend to these places, if we don't take care of them, and start nurturing those parts of our soul, it leads to some things in our lives that, that can be damaging. It can lead to hopelessness, brokenness, isolation, fear, depression, anger, and the list goes on and on and on. I was deeply saddened and moved this week to hear of a pastor who took his own life last weekend just down the street here in Chino, Pastor Andrew at Inland Hills Church, 30 years old. Husband, three young sons, battling depression, seeking help for his depression and for what he was struggling with. Yet got to a point where he felt like he couldn't go on and that the lies of the enemy were victorious. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have to realize as a church that this is not figurative. That Satan's goal isn't just to trip you up. Just to to interrupt your life. Just to make things more difficult. He literally wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. My heart breaks for his wife, Kayla. For their children and for their extended family, and for that church family, we have friends that are part of that congregation. This dear brother, suffering under the weight of all of the things that had over the course of his life just stacked up, someone who knows the word, and I hear my heart, hear my heart clearly. Because I've already read on social media and different places people who cast accusation. We are all broken. We are all broken. And can I say as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, as someone who leads others, 
that what we do is hard. And that the enemy is relentless in his attack. I was blessed to receive some phone calls and text messages this week, this week from some of you saying, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so none of us stand in a place where we can pass judgment on a man of God. It just hurts. And we don't understand the level of hurt that he was walking through. And now because of that, there are so many others who are hurting. I said this during prayer. I want to express this this morning. We don't know what each other is going through. But God knows. However, sometimes we use that statement, well, God knows, as our free pass to not press into each other's lives. And that is not okay. That is not okay. That we are called to live in community, not proximity. And that means we press into each other's life. You may be in someone's life divinely to be a life saver. The body of Christ standing together. Of course, for our family, this hit extra close to home because it was just over a year ago that one of our family members took their own life. And remembering what we walked through over the last year, and interestingly, as we came into this new year, we prayed and we said, Lord, would you give us a word, a prophetic word for the year, something that we can look forward to and pray into. And God's word for our family this year was the, was the word and is the word, restore. Because the latter half of last year was like a fog, hopeless, questioning, wondering, asking why, as so many even at Inland Hills Church are asking today. Our souls need to be restored. God has come to bring restoration to the hardest darkest, deepest, most broken parts of who we are, that there is nothing in your life today, there is nothing that you've ever faced in the past, and there is nothing that you will ever face in your future that God cannot meet, that God cannot heal, that God cannot transform. And it is the purpose of the enemy to convince us otherwise. And so we have to press in. That we cannot walk in ignorance, that we cannot walk deceived, that we have to press in to the restoration that God has for us and receive for him, from him what he has. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 26 through 31, the Apostle Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's Paul saying? 
we're all broken. We're all broken. We bring nothing to the table. Nothing. We bring our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our hurt. We bring it to the Lord, and we have nothing to offer. But Jesus trades all of those things, and he gives us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. By the way, I I love that Paul presses into this idea because I see it pervasive in the church that some people, and and he dealt with the same thing in in the church in Corinth, in Galatia, and Ephesus, that there are those in the church who feel like, well, I've got it more together than you do, so I'm doing better. Or maybe you're the other side going, that person has it more together than I do, so they're better than me. I'm a second-rate, second-class Christian. And there is nothing Nothing, nothing in the Word of God to support that way of thinking, which means that it is a lie from the enemy. And God says, I've chosen you. Yes, I know you're weak. Yes, I know you're broken. Yes, I know you don't have much to offer. And I choose you anyway to be my child, to be my righteousness, to be my mouthpiece, to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. We're all broken, and our souls need restoration. I have some points I want to share with you this morning. The first is this, remember, remember. The first step in restoration and being restored and renewed is this, remember. Why? Because we forget. What do we need to remember? You need to remember that you are loved. You are loved with an everlasting Love. God loves you, period. He has always loved you and he will never stop loving you. And you have, I always say very little, you have nothing to do with that equation other than that you're you. It all rests on him. You are loved and we need to remember that we are loved by God doesn't matter what I feel, and it doesn't matter what I see. God loves you. You need to remember that you are a child of God, that you have been adopted into his family, that you are sons and daughters of the Most High King, and you have received every right and privilege that comes with being a child of God. You need to remember that you have value, not based on what you do, but based on who you are. You are valued. We have to remember these things. There's other things. I'm going to stop there, but these are these what I believe are some of the core issues. Because when the enemy comes to lie, what he says is, you're not loved. God doesn't consider you your child, his child. And you have no value because you haven't done anything. No, I am loved. I am a child of God. And I have value. So get away from me. And we take our stand. We have to remember God's love, his mercy, and his grace. Romans 8, 34 through 39. We actually sang these words this morning. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Say that with me. No one. So who condemns you? No one. There's an accuser who stands before God, but he cannot condemn. He can only accuse. 
God says, I do not condemn you. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us every time the enemy brings an accusation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Exclamation mark. You are loved. You are loved, and you have to remember that. And let me just tell you, you're going to have to fight to remember that. You're going to have to fight to remember that. Each one of us struggle with that to some degree or another. But it says it right here in the Word of God. You are loved and nothing in all creation. Things past, present, high, low. I think he covers everything, doesn't he? Nothing will separate you from the love of God. See, separation and isolation is a tool of the enemy. And he can, in your thinking, make you feel like you are separated from the love of God. He has an open door to start doing other things. And just like that piece of metal exposed to the, to the air and to the water, your soul becomes exposed to things that will slowly corrode and decay your understanding and your ability to receive the love of God. He never stops loving you, but our ability to receive those things becomes foggy. And so we have to remember, I'm not talking about with separation or isolation, introverts and extroverts. That's something completely different. I'm not a people person. We're all people people. We are. Now, some people get their tank filled with being in a room of other people. That's me. But some people are like, no, I just need some space for a little while. I need to be alone, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, we're all people people. We need relationship. We need connection with God and we need connection with each other. As God said in the Garden of Eden, it is not good for man to be alone. So we need to remember that God loves us and because of that, we are connected to him in a way that we're not connected to anyone else or anything else in this world. See, because I can't love you that way. My goal is to love you that way, to love you with agape love, a love that never ends, but, but I'm broken and you're broken, so I'm probably going to drop the ball. And so when we start putting that responsibility on other people, we get disappointed. We get let down. We get hurt. Remember that God loves you. God loves you. Second thing is this, reflect. Told you, all R-E's. Reflect. You need to ask yourself, in light of the, the fact that God loves you, that you're his child, and that, that he values you, and you have value, you need to ask yourself, how is my soul? It's a good question to ask. What is the condition of my soul? Or, or maybe put it this way, what is, has, or could be in this moment 
corroding my soul? What are things that seem okay on the surface, but are actually destroying the deepest parts of who I am and the most important parts of who I am? Glad you asked. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, Paul gives us some clues. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now Paul has just gotten talking about, hey, there's a way the world lives. There's things that are normal and acceptable in the, in the way that the world lives. That's not the way we live as believers. This is the standard for us. And so when asking, how is my soul, ask yourself, am I being loving? Am I a loving person? Or am I unloving, removed, and maybe even abrasive? And then when you've answered that question, then think, of, think about it this way. How would my spouse or my children answer whether I'm being loving and take it a little step deeper. It's really quiet in here. Am I joy-filled? Is my life one that is marked by joy? And I'm not talking about just happiness, and happiness has place. We had a great time of laughter during our, our prayer time this morning. There was a prayer that, that just, some words that were said, and it just led to us just having a good laugh. And it, it was good. Amen? Those that were there, it was good. By the way, 9.30, come pray with us on Sunday morning. That's a powerful time. Is your life marked by joy? Is the joy of the Lord a part of your life? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Or are you in a place where you're sad, sullen, and depressed? Let me pause here for a second. As we evaluate, and even as I say some of these words, I, I am I'm trying to give an overview treatment of something that is extremely deep. Extremely deep. And so hear my heart. You've, you, if you've heard me say this before, if you've been here for a while, this is not something where you just snap out of it. Depression is not something you just snap out of. Well, just, the word just, ugh, I can't stand the word just, but just, just do these things. If you would just X, Y, Z, just read this book. If you would just declare the word of God more in your life, if you've walked through depression, you know that it is a miry pit that wants to suck you in and consume you. And so the, the point of this evaluation and even asking these questions is not to pour in guilt and shame. And in fact, next Sunday, we're going to talk about shame, so, so don't miss it. It's not to pour in guilt and shame. It's, it sets us up for the next part of the conversation. And so if there's joy lacking in your life, it's not like, hey, just be more joyful. Right? It's when someone's anxious and, and you say to them, well, well stop being anxious. And you quote, you quote scripture. Well, that helped. All of a sudden, I'm just better. It doesn't work that way. And so this is just an evaluation that leads us to the work. Are you at peace and are you peaceable? Are you angry and unsettled? Are you patient? Or are you short-tempered and irritable? 
Are you kind? Or are you mean-spirited? Is there goodness in your life? The translation or the definition of what Paul's talking about there is, do you have excellent character? Do you have excellent character or is there compromise and dishonesty? Are you faithful or do you renege on your word? Are you gentle or is there harshness in your life? And are you self-controlled or are you out of control? How's your soul? How are you doing? This is a conversation between you and God. And it might not be an easy conversation. It probably won't be an easy conversation. But if you remember that you are loved and that you're a child of God and that you have value, that opens the door to being able to have a healthy conversation with the Lord. And then you invite someone else who is trusted, who is godly, who is safe into that conversation. And those things are important because people who are not healthy, who are not godly, who are not safe, speed up the corrosive process. And they will, they will give you counsel that is not from the Lord. And so you have to determine those things in your heart. See, at the root of all of this is sin, shame, hurt, and trauma. And those things are not all mutually exclusive. They're very tied to each other. But we have to be real about where we're at before we can start moving forward and being restored. We have to understand where the broken places are to get the help we need. I want to say this morning, if you're in a place of desperation, if you are lost, if you are struggling, if you, if you don't know the way up, would you please risk saying something? Catch me after service. Shoot me an email. Reach out to one of our leaders. Our desire is that Thrive Church would be a safe place for us to be real. It's one of the reasons we have Thrive Groups. A smaller group of a community of people where we can be ourselves and learn to trust and encounter grace. As we deal with these issues, the sin, the shame, hurt, and trauma in our lives, we always have to firstly go back to number one. Remember that you are loved, that you are a child of God, and that you have value. But then there's some other steps, and the first one I want to mention, or the primary one I want to mention is this. It's the word, my third point, repent. Repent. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. God, I know that I'm broken, the psalmist says. I know that I'm messed up, and so I need you to show me the places where I'm broken. And I need you to show me the places where I'm broken because of things that I've chosen in my own life. The sin that I've encountered and engaged in in my own life. This is apart from things that are done to us. And hurts and trauma that we walk through. But it starts with us just being responsible for ourselves. God, search my heart and show me. Test me. 
determine where are those spots of weakness and brokenness. And then once you've exposed those, would you lead me into life? Lead me into your way everlasting. We don't talk about repentance a lot in the church today. There's these connotations, right, of the old-time preacher. Repent! Right? And everyone's just like, oh, that guy's nuts. Maybe the delivery was off, but the message is true. That repentance is not a one-time act for believers. Because of my brokenness and because of my propensity towards sin and doing what my flesh wants to do, Repentance needs to be an ongoing, regular part of my relationship with God, where I'm daily coming saying, God, search me, expose the things that are not of you, and then I get on my face before him, and I repent, and I say, God, I'm done with that. Help me to turn and follow you. I want to go in the opposite direction. And he says, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you what you need to do that. But we have to come to that place. Jesus says in Mark 1, 14 through 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus said it. Repent. You can't give your life to Jesus and just keep going on living your life the way you were before. It doesn't work. You will end it up with a corroded and broken and weak soul. And it opens all kinds of doors for the enemy to beat you up. Repent. We have to come to the Lord in repentance and deal with the stuff that we can. And allow him to do the work that he needs to do. Now let me, again, let me just say, I want to I, I over-communicate this. When we're dealing with issues of mental illness, depression, struggles in that, in that nature, in that, in that regard, just telling that person, hey, you need to repent, will probably make things worse, not better. And to the degree that we are able in our own lives, in our own walk with the Lord, to come before Him and have an honest conversation, we need to do that. But there are so many who need help to move even to that point. So just telling that person, hey, just read your Bible more, or you just need to pray more, doesn't actually help. It hurts. But coming alongside someone and saying, hey, I know that you're struggling. Hey, let's walk this road together. I want to be a support to you. I want to I be a brother or a sister to you in this time. That's something very different. It's what God has called us to be as the body of Christ. Number four is this. Recover, recover. Over my years being a pastor and even in my own life, I know that there's people I've encountered and things that I've done where I've gone through a season of, of, of darkness, of struggle, of pain, of bad decisions, of sinful decisions. And you go to camp or you go to a church service where your heart is stirred and you get done and, and you're like, that's it, I'm done. I tell you, the altar at Camp Cedarcrest, how many times I've been on my face at that altar over the same, the same stinking stuff. God, I'm back. And what we tend to do is go, 
okay, it's done. And then the next day, I was like, all right, Lord, I'm ready for the next best, next big thing. Hey, pastor, sign me up. I want to be on the leadership team. Slow down and recover. Recover. Now, God can do miraculous work, right? And we hear about deliverance and God being freeing people in a moment, and we give praise to the Lord. For most of us, it's taken a process to get into our stuckness, and there's a bit of a process to get out of it. A lot of that involves spiritual disciplines and, and developing new habits in our lives that don't lead us back into the stuckness again. And so that part process of recovering is so important. Psalm 34, 18 through 20 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And before we just get up and like, okay, I'm ready to run, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to minister healing and recovery to us. We understand this. If you go in for surgery, you're not up to doing a marathon the next day, right? That there is a process of recovery and rehabilitation that needs to take place to regain the strength so that you don't re-injure yourself or even worse. And so we have to know that our souls, when we've gone through trauma, when we've gone through pain, when we've gone through hurt, when we've gone through brokenness, they don't just snap back like a rubber band. That there is a process of healing that needs to take place. Scientists and, and neurologists have discovered, and, and, and again, things that I've talked about in the past, in, in our brains, there's this thing called neuroplasticity. It's the ability of our brain to, to learn, to change, to take on new things. When we're young, when we're children, our neuroplasticity levels is off the chart. That's why little kids can learn a new language like in six months. But as an adult, you're like, I can't even remember where I put keys, right? And as we get older, our brains are, are not as as soft, not as receptive to change. And so things that have been habits for us for years and years and years are literally ingrained in our brain, in our, in our synapses, in our neural pathways. And those things have to be retrained. That's why Romans 12 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not, not, not figurative, it's a literal rewiring of your brain, and it takes time. Little kids, yeah, they'll snap right back. But for us older ones, it's going to take time to establish new disciplines, new habits. It's going to take time for us to start being in a place where we remember that we are loved, that we are His children, and that we have value. You can't be rushed. On the other hand, used to be years ago, if you had surgery, you lay in bed for weeks. And they found that that actually slowed the healing process. And so there's a healthy balance of getting up and starting to move. It's amazing that if you have a heart transplant, they get you up and moving. Or if you have a bypass surgery, you're up, not in days, it's usually hours. They want to get you on your feet and get your system in recovery. 
where that strength gets built. And so there's a partnership where we walk with the Holy Spirit in that process of recovery. And sometimes it'll go quickly and sometimes it'll feel like it's agonizingly slow. And just like a physical therapist may be pushing on a, a knee replacement to the point that that patient is going, ah, it hurts. That the Holy Spirit will push on places in our life where we go, God, that kind of hurts. And he goes, it's okay. I love you. You're my child. You have value. Let's just walk through this together. And let's work out some of these issues that are stuck points. Elijah, after his confrontation with the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, has this high mountaintop experience, calls them out, fire from heaven. All of those prophets get killed. The, 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 the offering gets consumed. The water gets consumed. A high water mark in his ministry. And the next day, he's sitting under a tree, suicidal. And the angel of the Lord shows up and doesn't tell Elijah, hey, you're a knucklehead. Just stop it. He ministers to him, brings him food and water, lets him sleep. You need to sleep. And so he sleeps, and then the angel comes back again and gives him more food and water. And the Lord ministers to him in the midst of his recovery and restores his strength. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, the word wait, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Hearing the voice of God and discerning how he is leading our lives and not getting out ahead of him and not falling too far behind. Saying, Holy Spirit, where are you leading me today? If we will wait on the Lord and his direction, his correction, his instruction, his healing touch, he says, I will cause you to soar like an eagle. You will run and not grow weary. I would just love to walk up a flight of stairs, right, and not be weary. He says, you will run and not be weary. God's promises to you. Yes and amen. And then finally this morning, as the ushers get ready to serve communion, is resume. 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 Get back to living. Get back to living. We get stuck. We get hung up. We have issues. We have brokenness. There's things that happen in our lives. And then we panic. And like that word this morning, we don't want to step back in the water. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. So I'm just going to hide out. It hurt last time. I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to, I want to put myself out there. I don't want to risk. I don't want to 
Maybe in the context of church. I don't want to serve on a team. Because the last time I didn't go well, or that other church, or that time 15 years ago. So I'm just going to hang back and stand on the shore and the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, I've meant for you to thrive. Not hide and not just survive. I've meant for you to thrive, to live life to the fullest. Now, if you want to go bungee jumping, go for it. I'm not going to join you, but there's other things that I want to, I want to go boogie boarding, right? I want to enjoy time with my family. I want to serve God with every fiber of my being. And so you have to, after you've recovered, get back in the game, as they say. Resume. Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Yeah, you were in a pit. Yeah, you were stuck. Yes, you were dirty. Yes, you probably smelled bad. But God says, I've rescued you from that. I've washed you off. I've cleaned you off. I've restored you. I've renewed you. I revived you. And I've set your feet on a rock, and not just that. I just don't, I, my goal is not just for you to be safe, but I've also put a song in your heart, in your mouth, a hymn of praise to God, that there's something for you to declare, there's a job for you to do, so that other people will see, you know, I know your life, I know you were struggling, but, but you're different now. Rosie, that, that story about Rosie going out, I had cancer. I was fearing for my life, and God blew up the tumor. She doesn't like the spotlight, by the way. But God says, hey, I have a testimony for you to share so that other people's faith will be built up, so that they will know that I am God, that they will remember that they are loved, that they are God's child, and that they have value, and that he wants to set their feet on a rock. And so we have to get back in the game. We have to get back to living and declaring the goodness of God to everyone and anyone who will listen. And we will do this process over and over. It's like laundry. It just never ends. Right? Until we stand face to face. God, do this work in us. I want to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to turn to communion this morning. The only reason we can talk about restoration and renewal and re being revived is because of the shed blood and the boat broken body of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason. And so it is an appropriate response for us first to say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. But it could be this morning that you're also in a place of brokenness, of hurt, walking in shame. And this is the right place, coming to the table, to stop, to wait, and to receive from God what He would want to declare over you. Because of His blood that was shed, His body that was broken, you have full 
access to everything God has to offer. You don't have to wait. There's no breaking in period. Well, Pastor Barry, I just gave my life to Jesus this morning or a few days ago. There's no probation with Jesus. When you're in, you're in. When you say yes to him, you are a son, you are a daughter, and you have every right and privilege that comes with that. And so be reminded of that this morning as we turn to the cup and to the bread. I want to invite you to bow your heads. Would you close your eyes this morning? If, if you're in this place, and maybe you're saying, Pastor Barry, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never received him as my Lord and Savior. I've never opened my heart to him and asked him to come and be the Lord of my life. To forgive me of my sin and to set me on that rock. And we don't want to move on this morning without giving you that opportunity. If that's you today, and you would say, yes, Lord. No, you're not saying yes to me. You're saying yes to Jesus and to his invitation to be the Lord, the King of your life. If that's you, no one's looking around. This is between you and the Lord in this moment. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand so that I can agree with you? Anyone this morning that would say, yes, I need Jesus in my life. Okay. I'm going to pray and we're going to pass the bread. Would you hold on to the bread and then we'll receive together. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your goodness. We're in need of restoration, but God, we're so thankful that you are the restorer. That you didn't leave our restoration to ourselves, but you, you do the work. And we simply need to avail ourselves. And so we do that this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray even as we pass these trays and hold this bread, would you speak? Would you speak love and mercy and grace and compassion and value and kindness over every life this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.
you're holding in your hand a piece of bread. It used to be a part of something bigger. A loaf that was baked, came out of the oven perfect. And then for this morning was broken. You're holding something broken in your hand. A representation of the body of Christ that was broken for your brokenness. That in his brokenness that Jesus brought wholeness to your soul. To every part of who you are. Jesus, we receive your restoration this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you were broken, that you chose to go to the cross for us. We give you praise as we receive this bread this morning. In Jesus' name. by, would you hold on to the cup and we'll receive together. was in the Garden of Eden where Satan talking to Eve shamed her and said you're not good enough the way you are you're lacking and if you eat that fruit you'll become like God and through that shame she took that first step of sin Sin entered the world, a broken and broke the world. And we have been stuck in a shame-sin cycle ever since. But Jesus. But Jesus. And His shed blood broke once and for all the power of sin 
and shame and death forever. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission. There is no pardoning of sin. And because we couldn't take that step for ourselves, because we couldn't fix our own brokenness, he did it for us by shedding his blood. And because he was the perfect sacrifice, it never has to be done again. Because of his shed blood, we are able to remember that we are loved, that we are his children, and that we have value. When we stand together, as we receive, Father God, we thank you that you sent your son. And Jesus, we thank you that you came willingly to a world that for the most part rejected you and ultimately beat you, robbed you of your life. But Jesus, you went to that cross shedding your blood, knowing that because of your blood, that cycle would be broken in our lives. And so we give you praise this morning. Jesus, we thank you on the third day that you rose again. And you sealed the victory once and for all. And so we stand in this place with grateful hearts for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in restoring our lives. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive together. Amen. Can we just lift praise to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We can give him clap offering. Lift your voice if you would. Would you just speak praise out loud? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, oh God. We give you praise in this place. We lift you on high. You are worthy, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have a wonderful day. We hope to see you at the park after church today here in